This episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by Ford Motor Company, built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress. From connectivity to autonomy, AI to machine learning, Ford has one simple goal, to improve mobility for its customers. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate. .ford.com. The Inside Transportation Podcast is also sponsored by Fenwick & West. Fenwick & West is one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and transportation. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex, legal, and business issues of autonomous transportation at fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Hello and welcome to the Inside Transportation Podcast, a production of Inside.com. This is our weekly podcast where we discuss transportation trends that you need to know about to stay ahead of the curve. My name is Johan Marino, and I'm the writer of the Inside Transportation and Inside Electric Vehicles newsletters, and I am joined here by angel investor, podcaster, Inside.com CEO, Jason Kalkanis. How's it going? It's going well. I'm in dystopian San Francisco. You can pick... You are apocalypse now, pandemic, wildfires, uh, homelessness, drug addiction. I mean, the place is people are losing their minds, Johan. Um, like I have people also DMing me and calling me like family members and friends. Are you, are you okay? okay? I'm like, are you okay? I'm like, well, the sky is burnt crimson, like seared crimson uh, and yeah, there's a pandemic, a homeless crisis. This is crazy. I mean, it, it really is affecting people psychologically, I think, in San Francisco specifically, because you already couldn't go outside because of the pandemic, right? And yeah. people here are very shelter in place. Like, we were the first major city to shelter in place, and we're still not letting kids go to school. We haven't reopened restaurants just outside. I mean, we've been really conservative in the Bay Area. And, um, well, at least people you add the wear smoke their situation. Masks, you know what I mean? Because now you're using your mask not just to protect yourself from COVID nineteen, <laughs> but you're also filtering dark. out all that ash and and stuff that's coming down from the right <laughs> sky. Absolutely. And then if we had acid rain, uh, we could all just have umbrellas and pods like those those uh, clear umbrellas with the neon sticks and Blade Runner, and yeah, we could put ourselves in bubbles. Well, so it's even more reason to bubble ourselves and pod ourselves from our fellow humans. I mean, like, what else? What else can we go through this year? You know what I mean? What's locusts, left? <laughs> tsunami, locusts, tsunami? I think there's a there's a range. Uh, locusts and tsunami, nuclear uh, earthquakes. You know, like California. Er yeah. Oh, don't even say it. I mean, an earthquake right now would, I think, break people. But it's actually really interesting. Like the city, you, you think about traffic. You know, we're here on the Inside Transportation podcast with a really great guest today, by the way. Oh really yes, excited. yes, yes. Um, but you just think about traffic has been this like issue for cities, and I now get to my office in 16 minutes or 17 minutes or 17 miles from my house in the peninsula to get to the city. And I have not been stuck in traffic in six months, literally yeah. six months without being stuck in traffic. Very strange experience. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we introduce our amazing guest for today's show, do you remember a few episodes back uh, you suggested we should stage a viral video of someone trying to fill yes. up a Tesla with gasoline? I do remember that. Um, yes. There's actually been a few th videos that have published since then um, of some people doing oh, that. No. Uh, but this one takes oh, the cake no. in level of stupidity, um, and we'll share it in the show notes, but it's someone legitimately pouring gasoline inside the charging port of a Tesla Model S. Any yeah, thoughts, what could go yeah? wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> but yes. And it's on TikTok. Yeah, they're doing it. Yeah, that's um, those people need to be arrested. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're laughing hysterical as they're pouring gasoline onto a Tesla. Yeah. I mean, mm. it is funny. I'll give them that, but um, yeah. It's the TikTok that, kids. They want to go viral on TikTok. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's actually um, the Chinese Communist Party doing that to inspire people to light their Teslas on fire. Mm. Who knows? They want them to buy the Neos and the X-Pings and the <laughs> yeah, exactly. their other exactly. domestic brands. Well, right, let's get we, our guest on, man. Come on. We got a big guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you love cars, 
there's a good chance you have seen a video cars. or article from Doug Demuro. Doug lives and breathes cars, serving as one of the internet's most respected automotive reviewers and writers. He's reviewed hundreds, if not thousands, of cars. Has over 3.7 million subscribers on YouTube, Crazy. with over 1.1 billion views, and has even spent some time in Jay Leno's garage. Today, Doug not only continues publishing about two to three videos um, each week on you know, reviewing cars, but he also runs this really awesome new car auction website called Cars and Bids. Cars and Bids specializes in auctioning off super cool collector vehicles. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Doug DeMuro onto the Inside Transportation Podcast. How's it Woo-hoo! going, Doug? It's good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. First off, Big fan. here's a burning Big fan. question. What was it like driving Jay Leno's McLaren F1? Well, you know, Jay one of the greatest cars ever made, by the way. Jay didn't let me drive it, but I did ride in it as he drove it, which actually mm. I preferred because the car's worth maybe $20 million. And, you know, it's funny because everybody always says to me, oh, your job is so cool. You get to drive all these cars. What's the best part? And I always tell people the best part is when you give the keys back at the end of the day. I don't, it's such a, it's such a responsibility, you know, being in, having that. So Jay said, well, you can't drive it. And I said, well, that's all right. So he drove me around in it. That was pretty cool, though, because Jay was willing to push it a lot harder than I was. So, mm. you know, he got the tires loose in second gear on the freeway. And I'm wow. sitting there thinking, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> but <laughs> but it went fine in the end. His peak salary was $30 million a year on The Tonight Show, I remember. So uh, after taxes, I think he could buy that car. Like one year yeah. of doing the Tonight <laughs> yeah. Show, two hundred whatever yeah. forty I, I episodes. I don't think he ever. I don't think he ever spent any of his Tonight Show money. It's all he like claims, comedy gigs, right? Yeah, he claims he never did. But you know, the funny thing about that car is he bought it when it was only eight hundred thousand dollars, and mm. he told me he told me that he he met another guy who bought one at the same time. And a year later, that guy was offered a million to sell it. And the guy was like, I just made 200 grand on a car. And <laughs> Jay kept his. And now it's worth 20 million. So, That's you know, there's the a little key, bit of a lesson Doug, in regret. You have to ride your winners. <laughs> this, is what, this is the psychology of like stock investing. People, right. um, a stock goes down and people retain their hope that it will come back. And they don't sell on the way down when they could have and gotten back 50 cents on the dollar and then put it into a better company. And then right, when right. a stock is going up, people get afraid that, oh my God, I double my money, I triple my money on Tesla, on Uber, on whatever. And then they say, I got to get out of the stock. And what they don't realize is category leaders, uh, you know, they just, they can become explosive in terms of their growth. So you got to ride your winners right. out. This is a public service announcement. From day trader Jason Calacanis. I'm not a day trader long term. <laughs> so what is the new what is unique about the new site, Cars and Bids? Tell us. Give us a little promo here. So Cars and Bids is a website that we've created that uh, it's auctions off cool cars from the modern era. So cool cars from the 80s and up, uh, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and you can sell your car and you reach enthusiast buyers. Um, who are like bidders mm. on the cars. And, you know, we have a pretty cool, we think we have a pretty cool interface and it's, it's kind of a neat, slick site for younger people. There's so much car selling websites are devoted to, you know, enthusiast car websites are devoted to like the older crowd, 50s cars, 60s cars. And I feel like the population of people into modern cars is a little bit underserved, a lot underserved. And so that was kind of what we intended to come up now, with. Now, when you say a classic car, that used to mean 30 or 40 years old. Is that right? And then uh, an antique yeah, car was 40 or yeah. 50. Has that changed over time? Are 80s cars considered I, classics t- now, like the 60s and 70s? It depends. It depends who you, it depends who's, you know, answering. But to me, you know, the modern era was sort of when plastic came into yes. cars in wide numbers, in large numbers, mm. and, you know, airbags and that kind of thing. That's when I start to think, or, you know, those seat belts that were motorized. If oh, you my God, what a disaster. disaster in the yeah. 90s. They, like, choke your <laughs> neck. Ugh. Right, exactly. And everybody hated them. That's, to me, that's like the modern era. And anything before that with the big chrome and the steel, and they thought that safety meant just putting more weight in the car, <laughs> that was kind of, the to me, like the classic era. And I just feel like the, the, the era of these 80s and up cars just aren't being looked at enough. There's just not as many people, you know, even though there are people buying and there's a lot of interest, they get less press because people focus on 50s, 60s What cars. are the top three cars from let's say 80 to 85, the early 80s when I was 10 to 15 years old, I seem to remember like Mustangs, the Ford Taurus, uh, El Camino. Was that the one that all the, the yeah, Italian guys used to 80s. get? Um, 
Yeah, and you know what's getting really hot is SUVs. So Toyota yeah. Land Cruiser from that oh, era, the early yeah. 80s, those are really starting to blow up. Broncos, although that era is a little too late for the really hot Broncos that people want. Most of those are 70s. But um, SUVs are Jeep, Jeep Grand Wagoneers and Wagoneers from that era are really becoming tons and tons of interest in that stuff. So it's interesting. The sports cars are not they're not dying. There's still just as much interest. But this SUV Push what what is that about? Is that just people are nostalgic? Because those aren't good cars, are they? No, no. They, but then again, no car from that era was a good car. You know, by modern standards, it's so funny. Wait a we second. All, Doug, I, you I remember, started a website had... for an era of cars that weren't good. Is that what you just said to me? <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I invested startups for a living. So the value proposition here is get cars from the worst era of car building. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but you know what? You know what's important, though? 80s cars are better than 60s are cars. They? You know, yeah. when you get into any older car, you have this mental image that it's going to be so amazing. And oh you get God, in, no. and it's like, man, I, I remembered this better than it's it actually It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> like, you get into I, some I, cars, and you're like, wait yeah. a second, am I going to die? And then you like, the steering's a little bit loose. <laughs> no, yeah. It's exactly that. I remember my first car was a 96 Volvo, and I and I loved it. It was my first mm-hmm. car, and I loved it so much. It was the greatest thing. And and years later, I I drove someone else's. I just happened to have the chance. And this by then, I had driven a lot of newer cars and modern cars, and it had been several years. And and I got in, and I was like, this is a complete piece of crap. I can't believe there was ever a time <laughs> when I believed. I don't know that the Volvo. Nice you just had this feeling in the 90s that you were in the safest car and that if it snowed and you were right. driving from New York to Boston, that you would be the car that would get, yep. done, you, you would finish the route. Everybody else would be on the side of the road and you would just, you know, put your skis on the roof and you get to Vermont. No problem. That was my image. Of right. I, and you, you have yeah. that feeling, you have that feeling, but when, but what we know now is of course, those cars are nowhere near as safe as even like a Kia, you know, in today's world that has all these really blind spot cameras and all that stuff. <laughs> And so it's it's kind of a bizarre thing. It's it's so it's purely based on nostalgia, right? That's and now those SUVs is probably the best example. People remember mm. they their dad, their parents loaded them yep. up into that thing and drove them out to the Cape when they were seven, and now they want a Grand Wagoneer because yeah. it looks cool. My dad know? had and a had a Defender ninety uh, with the two benches on the back from nineteen seventy. He used to yeah. take us to the Hamptons and Montauk, and he would drive into the surf. And my mom would yell, John, what are you doing? Don't drive it. We're going to drown the kids. And me and my two brothers would be in the back cheering him on. And the benches, yeah, yeah, this is course. how tiny we were. We were like three, four, five, five, six, seven. No seat belts, no car seats. Uh, my right. dad probably had a couple pops in him. You know, he, he used to drink and drive like on the regular. It's like <laughs> my youngest memories are him driving drunk and smoking a cigar in the, in the Defender. And we would be in the back of that Defender and we'd race into the car to see because one person got to lay on each bench and then whoever didn't get a bench had to lay on the floor. And, and that was that was my childhood <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> it was slightly different. We didn't wear seatbelts then. Yeah, it is a it is a totally different one. I have a 97 Land Rover Defender and yeah. it's an open I saw you top. crush some cars with that. And uh, my wife has told me Right, that's right. My wife has told me in no uncertain terms that our future children will not be even allowed to ride in it. It's such a tremendously unsafe <laughs> so vehicle. Cool. Um, hey, what is your favorite is car so from cool. the 80s? Uh, what car? Johan, you have one? You don't? I don't, you know, because I'm a millennial. You I have even know. no clue. I think the Saab <laughs> convertible was market, a big one, But what too. I was going to ask Saab you, convertible? Doug, was um, what cars on the market today do you think are going to become rare? Because I can think of like the Subaru Baja and the FJ Cruiser as like <laughs> modern rarities. But like today, what do you think is going to be that future rare car that people are going to want? Yeah, you know, I was, I've been thinking about that a lot. What is going to become rare today? Now, what that people are going to want, that's the, almost a different question, right? Like what is going to become unusual is to me, it seems like cars, right? Like sedans, coupes. I was thinking about mm. the Lexus LC, which is a really beautiful coupe that Lexus has made. Gorgeous car, very exciting to drive, but people don't want coupes anymore. They don't want to spend big money on coupes like people are buying SUVs. I have a Kia Stinger, which is like a performance car from oh, Kia, performance sedan. Yes, yes. That's a great car, but no one is buying it. And that, I think, in, in 10 years, people will say, oh, you know, that's a pretty good value for whatever it's not worth then. It'll be worth $5,000. But the, some of these cars, I think, will be hard to find. The, the buyers have just shifted so much huh. toward SUVs Super so quickly. You know what I love from that era? Yeah. Have you seen the I'm, Kia I'm Stinger, pulling it up right Jason? now, but I just want to tell you what I love from that era. I always dreamed about getting the Subaru SVX. You must remember that one, Doug, with the fly windows. Yeah. 
Was that actually a good car or not? People are freaking yeah, out for Subaru right were now. Cool. Was the Subaru SVX a good car or just a weird car? You know, the problem with those was they all had transmission problems. It was the it was the most uh, powerful car Subaru had ever made at the time, and they didn't know how to make an automatic transmission to handle the power. And so every uh, SVX ate its transmission. So a lot of guys did like manual swaps. Those that's pretty cool. But um it did not it did not survive uh well, you know, people people don't regard it that well by modern standards for that reason. What but about it does this look brand cool. Eagle? Remember the Eagle Talon or something like oh, that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. then there was like was that like a white there were two versions of that, like the Mitsubishi Eclipse. Yep, that's right. Plymouth yeah. Laser. The laser and the Eagle and the Talon, Talon yeah. were all the same car, right? That's right. Yeah, they were built Just, in Illinois. Those are cool cars, but they're impossible to find anymore because kids in the 90s got them cheap and modded them and crashed them. And <laughs> you can't find a nice one at all. Yeah. I, does the Eagle brand even exist anymore? No, that's gone. No, Eagle was Eagle folded into Jeep in like the nine, late 90s. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, do we have an agenda today or we're just going to talk about <laughs> the, like random obscure cars? <laughs> well, Wait, what was the one I was supposed to have an agenda? But we also had some listener questions. Oh, um, but one of those was, I guess, on the topic. What are modern cars today getting wrong that older cars got right? And I think both of you guys can offer some suggestions there. But if anything there, Doug? By the way, I totally forgot to cut to break during the podcast recording. So we are going to cut to break real quick. We're going to run both of our ads back to back. And then we're going to run the entirety of the podcast uninterrupted just like it was intended to be enjoyed. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on Inside Transportation with Doug DeMuro. Hey everybody, just want to let you know that this episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by our friends at the Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, Ford has one simple goal, and that's to improve the mobility of its customers. Ford has been using technology to shape the future of transportation for over 100 years and is dedicated to solving the world's most pressing mobility issues. What you might not know is that Ford has a series of divisions that make these visions a reality. Ford X is Ford's venture incubator that unites entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers to shape the future of transportation. Ford's City Innovations team brings innovative ideas to life through community workshops, crowdsourcing initiatives, and citywide mobility challenges. And Spin, a property of Ford, brings e-scooter sharing to cities and college campuses. So here's your call to action to learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers. Visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. Hey, everybody. Let me take a moment to thank Fenwick and West. They're one of the world's first and leading law firms dedicated to technology and life sciences. They operate in the fast lane of innovation where ideas often outpace changes in the law. That's where you find Fenwick's autonomous transportation and shared mobility practice, steering startups, technology giants, and major automotive companies through rapidly evolving legal, business, and regulatory challenges, which we talk about here on Inside Transportation all the time. A Silicon Valley original, Fenwick is a national law firm with offices in Mountain View, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Santa Monica, and even Shanghai. So here's your call to action. Learn more about how Fenwick can help companies tackle the complex legal and business issues of autonomous transportation at Fenwick.com. That's F-E-N-W-I-C-K.com. Thanks again to Fenwick for providing great legal services to me. I use them personally uh, for, and for our investments and uh, for supporting independent media like Inside Transportation. Let's get back to this amazing episode. You know, I was thinking about that. I There's two big ones that I can think of. One is visibility. If you get into modern cars, I drove an 86 Maxima the other day for a video, mm-hmm. and it's unbelievable how much glass they had. Now, the reason for that was they had no crash safety at all, right? There was, there's no side airbags. There's no crump, you know, side crumple, you know, zone, nothing like that. Right. But, man, you could see forever. And in modern cars, you get into a lot of newer cars, and it's like a coffin. Like, you're just, windows are only a few inches high, and it's very different. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking was... Uh, t- um, design so many a lot of modern cars are kind of finicky in their appearance their styling the clean sheet kind of simple look seems to have fallen by the wayside 
I, I think convertibles were the thing that uh, it used to be every car had a convertible version. Yeah, and that's you right. Kind of looked forward to it a year or two later. You know, they would just chop the top off stuff, and like I don't I, again safety. Uh, I think to Doug's point was like secondary to like how thrilling it would be to have a convertible <laughs> of you know like I think the Saabs. You remember Saab convertibles or the Volkswagen yeah. Cabriolet? There was Ooh, like yeah, a I sense of fun and joy in some of those cars. Uh, in like a breakfast yeah. club kind of way. Like you're a teenager, yeah, yeah. you're 17, you got the car, you got the girls, you go to the movies, you go to the mall and the top's down, but it's November and you're wearing like your, <laughs> you know, REI jacket or whatever. You got to wear a fleece because it's so cold, but you're taking the top down anyway, right? And I think that top down, <laughs> you know, lifestyle is lost. Like I don't see a lot of convertibles yeah. and, and people don't want convertibles. No. It used to be you, yeah. like you would hit, you would be peak, you know, peak 90s was uh, wearing a jacket, wearing a sweater, wearing a baseball cap, some nice Ray-Bans, and you drop the top on your Saab, your BMW, 3 Series, whatever it is. And you're just living that, yep. that Volkswagen Cabriolet lifestyle. Yeah, mm. the convertibles have kind of come to an end. I think also partially due to the SUV switch. It, no one has successfully made a good-looking SUV convertible, and so... People are just kind of giving that up, and Jeeps are still convertibles. That's like the only. Yeah, it's too much work to take a Jeep. Most people don't take off the exactly. Problem is exactly. Most people never. That's a half hour job, like, and then it rains and you're you're screwed. Yeah. Um, Yep. (laughs) Yeah. No. I. I. I, For me, I liked. uh, Also, I liked a nice two door with a big back seat. You know, you get into a a a Thunderbird, right, or uh, one of those cars, Mm. and you would, I don't know what it was called when you took the driver's side and you pushed it forward and then you hop in the back. What is that called? Is there a name for that in the car business? Yeah. 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 I mean, and cars still have that to an extent, but few, very oh. few. There's very few of those big I like coops. that big back seat where you kind of get climb in there and you're trapped. Um, but the yeah. other thing I miss <laughs> is the front bench. Everything now, there, there, there's a center console. But back in my day, you could fit three, you always had three people in the front. <laughs> So if you were going for a ride with three yeah. people, just everybody piled into the front. And somebody got that middle seat and they were responsible for the radio and they were responsible for the, you know, <laughs> HVAC, you know, heating and cooling. That was your job in the middle, right? So the navigators on the right, in the middle, you're responsible for HVAC and for uh, the A-track, the radio, the cassette tape, CDs. And then you got the driver, right? That was a perfect configuration. Is there any sedan today that has a bench in the front? Straight across bench. Um I don't. I, the new Land Rover Defender, believe it or not, offers a front bench. And you know what? Pickup <laughs> Jason trucks. Jason sold. Some, He's been talking about that for weeks. <laughs> yeah, and there are some. There are pickup trucks that still have it. But you know what killed the front bench uh, was airbags. So when airbags are now mandatory for all front seat passengers, and automakers were like, "I'm not going to design an airbag for the front bench passenger," which nobody really uses. Any, you know, it's not that common. So that kind of was that came ah. to the end of the. That was kind of the death knell. So does the Defender have a front? Airbag I think what happens thing, is, is the, the passenger you, side airbag in a Defender is l- simply large enough that it uh, covers the front middle seat as well. Love mm. it. Love it. What do you think of the new Defender? I'm curious. I love it. I think it's great. I get all these hate from people. Oh, it looks like it doesn't look like the old one. Well, let me tell you something. I own an old one. It's a <laughs> giant piece of crap. You don't want the old one. You don't understand how bad it is to drive around. You, but you that. look cool, it's man. In the Hamptons or on the you Cape, cool. you are the totally. coolest MF possible no if you're you on you you talking, if just, you're on the I, rock and you got the defender and you go out to the point that's tight i did it i did it yeah believe it or not I, yeah. i'm a big nantucket guy and i actually ship mine to nantucket every summer and we it just wow. got back yesterday yeah i nantucket. love nantucket and it is you're the you're the coolest dude in the world out there with it but people want they think they want a defender and then they drive one and then they're like man i was hoping for like a range rover but it looks like a defender and it's like okay yeah you don't this isn't that believe me this is not what do you have when you go to nantucket do you have the stickers for yeah i got about defender i got like 10 10 years of stickers yeah at this point yeah yeah because you can there's a rental place where you can rent a jeep and they have like four of them so i always book that yeah so when i go to nantucket i can off-road and then what is that um, there's like a hotel restaurant right at when you're going to the point out to the lighthouse. Yeah, the Wawanet. What is that called? That run. Yeah, the restaurant. What's it is, called? It's the the hotel is the Wawanet, and the restaurant is called Topper. Wawanet. Yeah, 
Toppers. Yeah. So I've been to Toppers. And what I do is when I have guests, I take them out to Toppers. You take the air out of your tires yep. and then you drive. What is that? Like 20 minutes? It's long. Like yeah. It's far. Minutes. Yeah. But we, and so we drive that, but you can get right on into the surf. Like my dad yep. did. I'm just realizing this is all about my dad. Um, so I would have a couple drinks. No, I don't have any drinks. Don't drink, drive yeah, drinks. But I would drive up and you can watch like sea lions yep. follow you up the beach. Absolutely. You get to the lighthouse, you take some pictures, you get the sunset, you drive back, and then you do dinner. Yep, exactly. And then you put air back we in We literally tires. did it's that such twice last, in the last couple of weeks. But so the, the, the um, you know, here's an interesting the new Defender. Those Jeeps that you, the sort of Jeep rentals, I computed that it's cheaper for me to ship my Defender from California and back cheaper than renting the huh. Jeep for the same amount of time. So that's what I do. <laughs> wow. You go for a month or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the, that's you make a lot of money from your YouTube channel. Is that like a big lifestyle for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's my world. I just try to caution people to remember that, you know, I'm not a lawyer, right? Like this is going to end. Some people are like, oh, you, you're doing pretty well. It's like, yeah, this year. But, you know, maybe I only have a few more years of this. It's not like it's going to last forever. Why not? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I just entertainers eventually sure. people get tired, and and also you're at the mercy of Google's algorithm, so you just have no idea. You know, mm. they could change it tomorrow. So, what about and, cars and bids? Is that a good business? That's that was the hope is to kind of you know seeing that YouTube you ra- not last raise forever. money for it. Uh, we it didn't. No, we didn't need to raise money yet, but we might we might going forward. But mm. yeah, so far so good. It's been a good business. I have a really good idea for a business for you. And oh, I yeah. wanted to talk to you about it. And I didn't I didn't set you up on the podcast. This is all <laughs> Johan. But since you're here and yeah. I know you're an entrepreneur and I'm an angel investor entrepreneur, I want to run this one up the flagpole. We'll see if anybody salutes. I'll put some bread in the toaster. Let's see if we can make it golden brown. Um, <laughs> you've seen this Rally Road. You know Rally Road? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? It's an interesting idea. I'm curious to see how it lasts long term. You're... Hmm. I just, I'm very curious to see, like, is it, first off, is it successful? Are there a lot of people actually investing in these cars? I I wonder. And then if it is, you're putting a lot of, you're betting a lot in the car market. I mean, my view has always been, it's very, very difficult for cars to outpace the actual market, the stock market or other. 7% a year. It's not going to beat 7% a year. Right. And so like you don't even get to use the car. So is it really just to brag to say I own a part of a whatever? Yeah, exactly. I think it's like people placing a bet or being part of like a car club. So Rally Road, for people who don't know, is they take they'll they'll take like a purple Lamborghini Diablo or something that cost what would that cost today? Like a Diablo like, might go for seventy five K, a hundred K. No, no, the, the, those purple ones are like two fifty, three hundred. But yeah, okay, so, yeah, that's the idea. And then people can buy, you know, $500 shares in them, $100 shares in them, and they do like equity crowdfunding. And so I think that the move is for somebody like you, you have an audience already. How many cars do you own and how do you store them? That was the other question. I I have six cars and um, the storage is two are in a garage, a couple on the street. Why keep going on Nantucket? It's a process. So here's my idea. I think that... There are all these great cars out there, but they do not appreciate at the rate of the stock market. So, but there are all these people who want to buy them. And I think there's like, remember there, somebody owned all that artist, that pop artist owned all those Corvettes and they found them. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that, Johan? Who was that guy, the pop artist who owned all the Corvettes and they found them all and they like all in disrepair or whatever. So here's my idea. Peter Max. Just do a Google search. You'll find him. I'm talking. So here's my idea. It was Peter Max, right? Um, Wasn't it Peter Max? It was Peter Max. You're right. So here's my idea. We put together a syndicate. Like I have the syndicate.com, which is an angel investing group, like accredited investors. Put together a syndicate. And then we say, we're going to buy $5 million worth of in this first tranche, we're going to set up a $5 million syndicate. We're going to buy $5 million worth of cars, and we're going to put them in this uh, garage, like Jay Leno's garage. And it's going to be a place where you can come, and it'll be like a social club slash museum. And you can come and look at all these cars, take pictures in them, and you make them like Instagram pictures. So you put the BMW in the 80s setting. You put this one in another setting. People come like, you remember the Museum of Ice Cream? where you can yeah, go yeah, yeah. and like do those kind of pictures. So people will come and they pay 25 bucks to come and sit in the cars or whatever. But then if you're a member, some number of the cars, let's say it's $5 million worth of cars. The average price is uh, 50,000 a car. There's a hundred cars in there, right? We're, we're talking about like the, 
the cars from our childhood, kind of all different customers. You could take any, if you're a member, you can take any car out for, you know, up to whatever, 20 days a year. So with your $500 membership or $1,000 membership, you get to take them out for X number of days. And then they become like a living asset and you have some insurance or whatever. But um, over time, you try to have the most comprehensive museum and club. So there's one wing of just Beamers, one wing of just Corvettes, one wing of just, you know, dead brands, right? Like Saturns, like we have one of each Saturn. And because these things are not, you know, they're not $20 million specimens, they're 25K specimens, 50K specimens. You can maintain them and actually take them around a track, let's say. So we buy a building with a track and you let people just take them on the track or whatever. It'd be kind of interesting, I think. Yeah, you know, Rally Road's kind of terrified of using the cars. I actually talked to them at one yeah. point. And that's that's it's an interesting thing because the, the way their business model works is kind of making sure that the car is absolutely perfect at all times. Um, but in your world, it's it would be something that the use of the cars is part of the allure. Yes, you can enjoy it. So if you let's say you bought in and you put in $10,000, then you get to use the cars, right? So if you were part of the syndicate that raised, let's say the syndicate raised $10 million, right? And you could do like, this is our 2020 collection of cars, our 2021. Every year we raise 5 to $10 million. We buy all these specimens. And then the, the use of them, you know, you have a membership if you invested and you get to take them out and use them. And then you could also rent them for movies and shoots and stuff like that. So now you have another life for them. Somebody wants to do a movie from the 80s, right? You can say, hey, would you like 30 80s cars? We can put them on our you know, two trailers for you and send them right. to your movie set. So now you monetize them. And just over time, this collection of cars will gain in value, but they'll also be used for movies, for you know the, the people at the club, and then people might come to the museum. So you have to find like a central location that's not so expensive that can become a destination. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure where, but it might be like a Texas kind of place, like an Austin or maybe Southern California somewhere where it's outside of like the high rent district, but you can still go to it as a destination. You know, hell yeah, somewhere right. in the desert. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, somewhere where you can have a, a track. Um, and I mean, right. my vision would be there'd be 5,000 cars there eventually. You know? Imagine like a 5,000 car collection. What's the largest car collection museum in the world? That's a good question, but nowhere near that big. Because nobody's really making a collection of every car ever made from, you know, what if you had one of every car ever made in a museum? Oh, it'd be amazing. That would be like a vision. I would go to that museum all day long. I think we could build this because it would be like... I think it'd be like a five million dollar a year project. You know, there are these there are these car collector clubs yes. where you can you know pay to join and you can you know use the. Cars it's always that's always thing. Ferraris and like douchey guys and stuff like that. I'm doing something that's like more accessible <laughs> to everybody and kind of fun. You know, like right. how fun would right. it be if you could go get a Saab convertible and take it out for the weekend? I mean, that yeah. would be a riotous time, right? right? Or like a Miata. Right, totally. Or like a Ford Mustang from the 80s. Or a Yugo. Yeah, anything like that. Something weird <laughs> sorry, and fun. No, <laughs> a Yugo would be hilarious. There's definitely yeah. something to that. All right, let's go back to questions. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my idea. I just put up the flagpole, see if anybody salutes. But. Man, man, that's a great <laughs> idea. And I just, I just felt the energy. I felt the Jason Calcanis energy just coming in <laughs> through this call. Um, yeah. But we, we have a listen. Uh, we have a listener question for Doug. So, how do you actually source cars for these videos? Because I think it's super interesting that you do review videos, right? And from time to time, they feature these incredibly rare or special cars. Um, unlike other review videos, right, where they're getting a car from like an OEM, and you know, um, they're usually newer cars. But how has that process kind of changed over time as you've become more influential? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, there's there's two primary ways I get cars. You have private owners and, and dealerships. I actually don't like to work with the OEMs. I think there's some bias there that I really am not a big fan of. You know, an OEM gives a free car to a journalist with a full tank of gas and it's cleaned up for a week or they fly you to some exotic location, put you up in a hotel. I have a hard right. time believing that these people can truly provide an objective review. Junkets, um, right? But, so the junkets, they're paying off the writers. From, from, I, when I was at Autoblog, yeah. we and I hate that stuff. New, and, you know, I started Autoblog back in the day, and when we had Autoblog, we had a yeah. no a junket rule. And then Jalopnik and Nick Denton, who you know was my main competitor, he was like, "I'm not paying yeah. these kids to blog. Yeah. They can take every junket they want, and they can make fun of people for sending them to Germany in business <laughs> class because they're getting paid literally a hundred dollars for you know, you know, 
20 blog posts. Back <laughs> right. in the day, the standard right. rate for a blog post was five bucks because you would do two or three an hour and you get 10, 15 bucks. Yeah. This is in the you know, 2005 time period. And so we had yeah. to go up against him. And then the New York Times told us that if they get a car, they can only keep it for 72 hours. But that other review sites would take the yeah. cars and keep them for one year. And so what they were doing is they were paying off yeah. reviewers oh, yeah. by there giving them a car for a year. year. Yeah. With insurance, with gas and everything. Right. And I know I I legitimately know car journalists. I these are I actually know people yes. who are car journalists who do not own automobiles because they get yeah, press cars. <laughs> and I just find that to be one of the craziest things that has ever existed. People are writing about the process of like buying a car and which car should you buy. And they themselves, they don't even own like a classic. They literally possess no car because they can count on every week the, the next press car will be delivered to them and the previous ones picked up. And that's just how they live their lives. And I find Paola. that to be just Paola. the craziest thing I can imagine. So I primarily source from private private owners. And, and and when I do go on those junkets, because sometimes you have to, because it's the only way to get early access to a car, I pay for my own way. I pay my own flight, yeah, I my think own that's hotel, totally all that stuff. Yeah. It's doing it the right way. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I have the ability to, cause I, you know, my channel is very successful. And so I, I kind of take a holier than thou approach to it, but also that's the right approach. I think I just, I don't know. I've actually had to take more manufacturer cars with COVID happening. It's been I haven't really been wanting to approach random people in dealership, go up to show up at dealerships as much. But I've been doing it some. Um, but before that, I was just really opposed to taking manufacturer cars. But anyway, so what happens is people reach out to me. So initially, you know, I, I prefer that people reach out to me. If I reach out to people, I think it's kind of entitled like, hey, I'm a big YouTube guy. Can I review your million dollar car? I think there's that's just there's an ent- level of entitlement there that I don't like. So I prefer when people come to me and say, hey, Doug, you know, I like your channel. Can you review? You know, do you want to review my car? And so that's how I source the majority of the almost all basically I, of the cars that I that well, I, I think Jason has a very special collector car. Uh, number six, right, Jason? Number six, Tesla Roadster. Uh, I have two special cars. I have. Number 16 of the Tesla Roadster yeah. of the 100, you know, signature series. Yeah. Um, and then I have number one, signature number one of the Model S. So I have the literal signature wow. 00001. Wow. Um, that God. Elon gave me. That's crazy. Um, that is a, it's going to be a wild car one day. So I think it'll be worth something someday, yeah? Yeah. Don't drive <laughs> that car. No, I got 29,000 miles on it, I think. And then I think the Roadster's got maybe 15,000. But I put a new battery pack. I put the new battery pack into the Roadster. Yeah, that makes sense. But the Roadsters, they were only like, 2500 made and i see they're available for 50k yeah. so i think it's kind of like it's kind of like a good value to buy right now maybe buying 10 of those and just yeah i kind of wonder about that i mean if tesla really does become a huge brand you can look back at other companies that have become huge brands and their foundational cars are very valuable especially when they're so rare um i don't see why that car wouldn't someday become valuable unless it becomes untenable to use for you know battery or other like you know functional issues but i suspect that's not going to happen um, they were not the yeah, best I mean, built cars compared to modern Teslas, but they're foundational for this important brand. That's pretty cool. No, no, I was just saying, I think buying up, you know, 10 of those, you know, roadsters, which nobody wants to buy for, you know, 30K each, they got to become worth 300K eventually, right? People want to have them. But you got to store the batteries. So that is a mitigating yeah, factor. Totally. And then well, how long did those battery packs work? Yeah. And the yeah. battery pack is worth. It's thirty. I think it's thirty, right. twenty or thirty thousand dollars to put in the long range battery pack, and they'll custom make you one. Uh, so they still support it, which is kind of cool. And Elon told me he'll always support those cars because he always wants to support those folks. So they made me like a custom battery pack where they put the new batteries yeah. into the old format, so they like can make these things. So eventually, like the battery pack, I think oh. is is worth half the price of the car. Yeah. So what I was going to ask you, Doug, is for driving enthusiasts, do you think electric cars can ever replace sports cars, right? In in terms of driving dynamics, um, do you think these cars could ever find their way into sports enthusiasts' hearts? You know what I mean? Personally, personally, I think yes. Um, But I do worry because a lot of car enthusiasts seem to be kind of resentful. Um, it's been an, it's been this whole transition into EVs has been, first off, let me just say, I think EVs are awesome. I, I, not all of them, obviously there's some boring ones, but that's true of regular cars too, but there are some great ones. Um, but it, the whole transition has been interesting. A lot of car people are really pushing back on EVs and they're specifically pushing back on Tesla. And I think one of the reasons is they don't like these tech people invading what they view as their space. Mm. 
And I just think that's just so annoying. It, I, I'm so into the idea that more people are becoming car people, not less, which we all thought was going to happen. Um, so I'm into it. And I think Teslas are great, by and large. Um, and I, just on a personal level, yeah, I think EVs can be just as fun, just as exciting. Um, you know, I'll miss having a manual transmission. But that's true even of gas-powered cars now. Those basically don't really exist as much anymore. Um, and you'll always be able to have fun cars for the weekend that are gas-powered, I assume, at least within our lifetimes. But I, I don't know. I, I, I like EVs, and I, and I think they're interesting. But I'm just, I wonder what's going to happen. And I think a lot of young people will probably too. But you wonder if car enthusiasts are really going to adapt to them uh, yeah, or if it's just going to become like a tech thing and they'll, they'll get bored or I don't know. Um, Any thoughts you there, know, Teslas are so far advanced to any other one. I was at one point thinking of buying like, you know, one of the first 10 specimens of every EV car, but the other ones are just so bad that so bad that it was just like, I, they're, so I, bad. they're like kind of clunkers. I think they're going to go into the museums as like, here's what not to do, or just look at how advanced Tesla is when compared to these. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I find them not inspiring. Um, I'm really interested to see when actual classic car brands become EVs. So, you know, uh, the Jeep just announced that they're going to do a, a battery powered Wrangler or it'll be like a hybrid yep. and you'll be able to switch it, I think, yep. manually, which I love that feature. Yep. So like you're in the city, you put it on whatever battery only. And so when there is a Ford Mustang yep. or the, the core, I really want to get the new Corvette C7. That's like one of that's I, I think Corvettes are probably my favorite line of cars, um, even more than Tesla's. But I, I just don't like the idea of buying an ICE engine right now. I feel too guilty. And it's also very hard to go back to the the pickup yeah. associated, like it's a just different driving experience. So I own, I'm considering buying the C7 Stingray because it's so gorgeous, but I would actually feel guilty burning oil now, you know, given what's happening. All of these cars will have electric versions in the next few years. There's no way to avoid it anymore. I just reviewed a, the new Bentley SUV, and even that has a plug-in now. Really? Um, uh. You can't, yeah, yes. Uh, who buys Bentley? <laughs> That's like a 200 Who, who buys a Bentley? Uh, I think it's older people who like the comfort and the power. Bentleys are cool because they, they're the only brand really that has both really high luxury and actual performance. Most like luxury brands like Rolls are like their cars aren't very fun. They're just kind of boring. And, and then most of the performance brands are kind of rough riding cars, whatever. Bentley has this market cornered of somehow having both, but they're really expensive cars. Are you supposed to drive your Bentley or be driven in your Bentley? No, ben the, the theory always was Bentleys are for the drivers, Rolls Royces are to be driven in. That was the thinking. And generally speaking, that has continued. Like Bentleys have become sportier and more fun and Rolls Royces are still sort of this stately old old man, you know, luxury car. All right. What Bentley, if I was driving a Bentley as like an angel investor in Silicon Valley, which Bentley am I driving? Probably the SUV. Oh, that's become the hot Bentley to have now. It's called the Bentayga, and there's a version of it with 630 horsepower. And, and what does that go for? A quarter milli? Yeah, about that. So 250K, it looks like a Volvo on the outside. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It doesn't look very good, does it? A lot of people don't <laughs> like the styling. I'll put it that way. I personally like it, but I'm very much in the minority. Most people hate all of these new, like, ultra-luxury SUVs. Lambo has one, too, called the Urus, which has gotten a lot of pushback about its styling. There's yeah. a Rolls-Royce SUV called the Cullinan, which looks... In these, the problem is these brands have never made an SUV, so they have no idea how to adapt their existing styling traits yes. into that form. And so Ferrari's coming out with an SUV next year, and I am terrified... What? How that's going to oh look. Oh, my Lord. That's going to look horrible. So I'm looking at this. When I look at the grill, I like the look of the grill. Yeah. But when I look from the back, they're doing too much with the scoopiness that it looks like a Volvo or something. Are you like looking the, at the, the rear the new spoiler? One, the new one has new these Bentayga weird, V8. The new one has these oval taillights in the back that a lot yes. of people really hate. Yeah. yeah that that looks janky. It hasn't been well received. Yeah. <laughs> and the hub on the back looks like a uh, Land Cruiser like on the back flare on the back rear tires. Right. Yeah, it looks terrible from the back. It looks good from the front and the grill. But what do you think internally? Internally, it's... It's fine. It's not what a Bentley has been in the past, which is like the quality is not quite there. They're just trying to sell it in volume. I mean, that's the goal of all these brands. Now, the SUVs are the hot thing, so let's just churn them out. Uh, so we have the Lambo, we have Maserati as an SUV, everyone. The, you can't avoid it now. All right. Um, so what's the better purchase? Would I buy a Bentayga for 250 k <laughs> Or should I buy the top of the line 
Corvette, top of the line defender, <laughs> and then burned fifty thousand dollars on tires and and wraps. <laughs> what would you do? That is so much. If you, if you can work a new Corvette into your life, that's what you get. They're the coolest thing on the road right now. It is the Are hottest they? car on the road. Oh yeah, and they're selling way over. There's a huge markup on them because there's long waiting lists, and that is the hottest thing. It's funny because General Motors does not typically make the hottest car. And so they're like, they have no clue what to do. The dealers are like, oh my God, people are coming in and they want our car. We don't have to tell them to the buy Stingray, it or give them money off. That Stingray looks incredible. Incredible. Right? The convertible yeah. Stingray. Did you drive it yet? Yeah. And it's really amazing drive. As good as it looks, it drives even better. Wow. Maybe I should get one. So wow. is this is the Stingray Insane. convertible Insane. the best version of it? Or is there yeah, a I Z06? Mean, I tend to prefer convertibles, but a lot yeah. of people think that coupes are better for the racetrack and all this and that. But, you know, yeah. I live in San Diego. I'm a convertible guy. Oh, you live in San Diego? That's nice. I, uh, when, I, when I got my first Corvette, I got the C6 convertible. We, oh, do we have dealer stories as one of the questions? Yeah, what's your favorite dealer story? That's one of the questions from our audience. Did I ever tell you when I tried to buy a Ferrari, Johan? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You want to right. give us the story? So I sold. I'll give you the story. Bridge version. So uh, I'm driving my Mini Cooper right, in LA. I had bought like the second year Mini Cooper. I loved it. Uh, nothing special, just a stock one because that's all I could afford. And then I sold Weblogs Inc., right, the, the Engadget Autoblog company. I made millions of dollars. And I said, okay, what do I do now? So I buy myself a one-touch coffee machine. That was like my first purchase, a Jura one-touch <laughs> nice, espresso nice, machine. Nice. Okay. And then I was yeah. like, all right, and now I have all this other money in my bank account. I need to get um, a Ferrari. So I have the Rob report out, you know, the, the magazine. And I flip and it says like, F430 or something, you know, the best car. And then the next page says uh, Corvette uh, C6, buy two for half the price of the car on the previous page and uh, save half the money and, you know, have a backup and make, uh, you know, Ferrari owners jealous. So anyway, I go with my friend who has a Lamborghini um, Diablo down to the Ferrari dealership in Beverly Hills from Brentwood. And I come in, I say to the guy, hey, listen, I want to buy a Ferrari. And he goes, okay, we can talk about that. I said, great. He goes, you want espresso? I said, no, I'm good. Want a bottle of Pellegrino? I said, no, I'm good. I just want to buy that car. I want to, I want to drive out of here today with a Ferrari. And he says, oh, well, we don't have any available. I said, okay, no, I understand. It's a popular car. Like, can I be on the waiting list? And he says, we don't have a, uh, we're not adding names to the waiting list. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, can I ask you a, a really dumb question? And he said, yeah, of course. And uh, he said, I said, what do you do here all day? <laughs> if you're not selling any cars, you're not taking away those, you just, why even have the store? Like, he's like, oh, well, you know, people, we get deliveries and we have to, you know, give them to people. And we also sell used ones. And I was like, oh, I, I'm open to a used one if it's in good shape. He goes, the one you're looking at is used. And I said, no, no, this one's got a, a sticker in the window. He goes, yeah, it's certified. So we put the sticker back in the window. We, it's only got 1,200 miles on it. I said, oh, I'll take this one. 1,200 miles is perfect. He goes, okay, look, we can talk about that. And I was like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, I'd like to buy this one. How much does it cost? And he says, well, it's, you know, uh, 320000 I said, but the sticker is like 270 He goes, well, you can't get these cars. And I said, ah, I get it, apparently. <laughs> I said, how does one become a new car? He says, well, the way you become, I'll tell you how it kind of works. And he, then he kind of like gives me the inside skinny. He's like, you kind of overpay for your first one used. Then you get on the list. And if you buy like a used one or two from us, then we put you on the list for a new one for like five years from now and you're in the club. But you always, you have to guarantee us you give us back your used ones. And then we sell them. If you sell your used one on eBay or directly to another person, then we'll you're take out. you off the list and you're out. Yep. And I looked at the person and I said, okay, thanks. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to think about it. And I left and I went to the Long Beach, <laughs> uh, you know, on the way down to Long Beach, there's that Corvette dealership that's giant, that has like the giant hanging yeah, Corvette. Yeah, yeah. I don't yep. know which one that is, but they have like a Corvette hanging from a crane. I walk in the door. The guy looks at me and goes, you want a Corvette? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> is that obvious? And he's like, uh, which one do you want to go test drive? And I, I said, that one, the yellow one with convertible. We go out, we're driving down the road. He goes, aren't you going to open it up? I'm doing like 85. He's like, you should really open it up. And we, we have the Tiptronics on it. So I, I blow the thing past 100 miles an hour on the 405. The guy's like, if you buy it right now, as we pull in, if you agree to buy it right now, I'll give you $5,000 off. I said, in. So I drive off the lot with a $55,000 Corvette C6. That's my, that's my uh, best dealership story. Doug, what's your, what's your dealership story? Best dealership story? You know, I, I was actually trying to think about that. I, I don't have any like crazy dealership stories because I buy my cars in the weirdest way. I'm very particular about what I buy, and I often buy them from private sellers, usually on the other side of the country. 
Um, and I rarely test drive or do anything like that before I buy a car. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you, that this story comes up because I think my best dealership story is I worked at a Ferrari dealership mm. in 0809 as a, I was a, like a porter, like the lot guy. And I drove the cars around and that was a pretty cool, that was, it was just the coolest summer job that anybody has ever had in their lives. And is what um, I'm saying accurate? It is a hundred percent accurate. However, the interesting thing about it is I know some guys who did that. They overpaid for their first one. They bought a couple Maseratis because that's also part of it, you know, because they can't sell those. But if you're in, you can get, it can absolutely go crazy. I mean, there are guys who are flipping these things for a million, paying a half million, flipping them for a million, and then they split the profit with the dealer. And I know guys who did what you did, who actually did complete it and go through the thing and, and finish the job and, and, and buy the payover for the user or whatever who are making money every single time. And they get a new car, a new Ferrari every month or two. And because that's how often the new models come out. And then they flip it back to the dealer after they've put maybe a thousand miles on it. And by then it's still the hot new thing and they make 50 grand and then they move on to the next one. And so, whereas people, normal people are buying a Ford Explorer and losing 20 grand in depreciation in the first year, there are guys driving around in new Ferraris making maybe a hundred grand a year (laughs) for owning a Ferrari. Sweet Jesus. And that's become like the common thing. The problem is if you say no to any of them, you're screwed. They take you off. And if the market turns, you're stuck holding the Ferrari that nobody wants and you could it could go downhill yeah, in a hurry. I, but that hasn't been the case over the last Right few now, years. I've just pulled up the 2020 Corvette Stingray in our yeah. um, Sebring orange tint coat. Gorgeous. With a full-length dual yeah. racing stripe package, sterling silver. So I guess you pay a thousand bucks to put a stripe on it. Oh my lord, that thing looks gorgeous. I may hit. The, I may check it's out. It's great. Eighty grand for the LT three, I guess. A three LT, which I guess yeah. is the most powerful real wheel drive. Zero Fuck to sixty in two point nine seconds. Boom. Two point nine in a Corvette. Right it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is unbelievable. It's one of the coolest cars on sale. The only problem is it's going to be the same thing as the Ferrari. You're going to walk into a Chevy dealer and they're going to say, yeah. "You can't." You get know one. what though? I have like three hundred fifty thousand Twitter followers. So if I tweet to somebody at Chevy. Chevrolet, they'll, they'll like, they'll come to my rescue. Trust me. I could use the, uh, you guys take advantage of your network, Jason. <laughs> I can just, I got, trust That's me. There's right. somebody who works over there who wants Jake Allen, this Corvette. And they're, they're going to be emailing us after here, but it's, it's really, That's exactly it's, right. it's a hard top. That's electric, right? So you get that nice hard top. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. That is so sweet. It is the coolest car, the coolest car on set. And do you like the cockpit? Like that weird square yeah. type steering yeah. wheel? And- I mean, you, you'll, you'd have to sit in it to really decide if you like it, but I love it. I think the whole thing is just a great package. And by the way, I'm not a Corvette guy. In the past, I've like liked them, but not more or less than, you know, other sports cars, or whatever. But this new one is just, it's a different world now. That is, it is such and an amazing car. And that interior is beautiful. So well. Oh man, it looks so Yeah, it's nice. really special. It's way more special than before. And a mid-engine car is... It's the way God intended a sports car be made, you know, because it balances the chassis. You have 50-50 weight distribution, basically front and rear. And that's how sports cars should be. It's just very expensive to construct a car like yeah. that. But Chevy has finally taken this plunge and done that. Yeah, I got to get the Roadster in my Model S and I got to do something with them. I was talking to the Raleigh Road guys about auctioning the two of them off. And then I would keep half ownership in them and then let them maintain them. So I get them out of my garage, you know. Yeah, that's the problem. Is I got these things in my garage. They have no garage space. Well, you got it. You got to keep that Model S forever. That's yeah, a I can't really sell it, right? Car. I got to keep it forever. No, one day you'll. It, it's just like it's. You got to keep your winners. That's right. Exactly your winners. That. That You're right. Will. I just said it. Now <laughs> that's a good callback, Doug. A good callback. All right, give us some more questions, and then we do dope or no, Brett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we well, keep Doug I think here it's all day. Time man. for dope and dope or nope. Uh, the right, Lucid Air. Did you guys check that car out yesterday? Well done. Yeah, it came out yesterday. Yeah. It officially unveiled. Um, so just to give some background for our listeners, the vehicle was originally expected to go into production in 2018, but it's going into production next year. Uh, there looks to four different uh, variants of this car, one of them going for $169,000. Let me give you some of the specs. It goes up to 1080 horsepower. Um, it goes 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds. And um, let's see here. The top speed is 168 miles per hour. Um, so there's also going to be the base model, which is going to fall below $80,000. Um, we still don't know what the performance is going to be on this, but we're going to see it in about 2022. It's an electric car, fully electric. Um, the company actually said they're not competing directly with Tesla, but instead competing for buyers of other luxury vehicles like Mercedes-Benz. 
Um, which, yeah, right. I, I don't know about that. Yeah, um, that sounds like spin. That sounds like <laughs> bark, 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 bark. sounds like they're a little <laughs> bit scared about Tesla. <laughs> yeah, but the the CEO of the company is actually like a former designer. It was the chief engineer for the Model S. So uh, I think Elon actually caught him out this week and was like, "Yeah, we already had the prototype before he actually started working on the car or whatever." Um, but any <laughs> thoughts there on the design or what it looks like, uh, Doug? And then Jason. I think it looks really cool, and I think everything they say is really cool, and I think it could be awesome, but I just question the hell out of all of these cars that are released as photos. Oh, it's coming in 22. Oh, it's, I, I, Tesla has been able to deliver in a way that a lot of these other manufacturers, I mean, how many of these have we heard of now? Faraday Future, I could yeah. name other ones. Bollinger, which is supposed to make an SUV electric. That Where's that? I mean, there's a bunch of these, and I just, I, I, it'll be cool if they actually hit what they say. Let's just wait and see if that happens. It's hard to make a car company. Elon has discovered this. You got to have a dealership network. You got to have a service network for EVs. You got to have a charge network. It is not easy to do. It's a lot easier to just take pictures and say specs than to actually come out with a car think, like this. That's why Teslas were always delayed at the beginning. I'm, I'm a nope on this um, because I feel like it's too derivative of the Model S. So when you're looking at it from the side, do you notice they literally just ripped off the doors, like the punch out doors handles? are literally copied. And the front looks exactly the same. The back looks a little bit more like, what's that four-door Porsche called? The Panamera? Mm -hmm. the, yeah, the, the, Panamera, the ass yeah. looks like a Panamera. So it looks like they stole the Panamera and put it onto a, a Model S and then just sloped the front ever slightly more. So I kind of feel it's like super derivative, if that makes sense. Like it's not unique. So if you're going to make a unique car company, why just make like, this looks like somebody modded the Model 3. It looks like a Model 3 mod. I'll be totally honest. Um, yeah, and what I was going to say also, on Doug's point is that Volkswagen actually started coming out with their ID3 this week, or they're starting deliveries this month. Yeah, yeah. And there's already reports that there's build quality issues, right? And so it's not just a thing of getting it into production, but it's also like, is the quality like of these vehicles from these new companies that have never made an EV before, like where is it going to stand, right. right? That's another challenge. Right. I mean, there's already, that's exactly right. There's already a lot of talk about quality issues from Tesla and they're a real company. Imagine yeah. other less, much lesser companies trying to do this as well. I just, I, I think it would be cool if it actually exists, but I'm always, whenever I see a new EV that looks like something from the future and it's all modern, whatever, my first thought is always... I will believe yeah, it for when sure. I see it. I mean, the Fisker was garbage and it continues to be garbage and they've never come out with anything. And then my friend who <laughs> bought one was like, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever bought. Brought it back to the dealer two weeks so later, bad. demanded his money so back because the thing was so broken. This is, you know, that Fisker they made with the solar roof. And I, was oh, talking, yeah. I talked to Elon about it. One I was like, why don't you have a solar roof? He's like, Jason, it's going to add one mile a day. And it, <laughs> it's going to add all this cost. Like, yeah. it's the stupidest idea ever. If you want solar panels, put them on your roof and get a power wall and- then, you know, but like putting a yeah. solar panel on yeah. like the tiny little solar panel on the roof of a car is dumb. And I think that's like what these, these people yeah. who try to copy Elon, like they just, it's like somebody, like some comedian, like taking somebody else's act, you know, and they just do a bad job at it. Like this feels like somebody just stole, you know, Elon's act and is trying to, Fisker did too. Like they're, they're both like yeah. kind of, this is the thing with <laughs> entrepreneurship and like investing in companies, which is what I do for a living. The, the person who steals the other person's idea, like they can leapfrog them like 10 or 20%, but because they don't know why those decisions were made, design decisions, et cetera, like they wind up eventually falling behind because they just don't have the vision built into their own brain, right? It's just like, so they're just copying yeah. and yeah, I don't know. It's a nope for me. Um, if it was, if you was, if this was presented as somebody modded their Tesla Model S, which is what it looks like, I might be like, that's interesting. I wouldn't do it, but it's interesting. So I would be somewhere between dope and nope. But the fact that this is like a bad copy, I'm going to give it a nope. But but Jason, it's a Tesla killer. Come on. You know what? Like <laughs> that's the other thing is like in the in the industry there's very rarely a killer of a company. Um usually companies just deprecate over time. So like Facebook is in its like downhill phase, it's kind of like slowly deprecating and it's not that like Instagram killed it or Snapchat killed it or whatever Twitter killed it. It's it's just like they kind of hit peak and then they slowly land. Like right. people are still going to the Yahoo and AOL homepages. Like these things still exist and like billions yep. of dollars are made from them and they yep. peaked 15 years ago, you know, 20 years ago. 
Um, right. So yeah. I, I kind of feel like there's Here. no killers in this equation. Well, look, we're coming close to the okay. end of the show. Um, but one final question for Doug. What is your yeah. favorite car review you've ever done? Uh, my favorite review I've ever done? <sighs> I would say split between either. I did a 1980s Aston Martin oh, LaGonda, yes. which is one of the most bizarre automobiles ever made. Uh, and I did a Vector W8, which is maybe even more bizarre. It's one of the... I also... The Bugatti Chiron, I reviewed that. That was really yeah, that was cool. Awesome. But I tend to like the weird stuff where there's just endless weird crap. And this Aston Martin Lagonda, I mean, it's hard for me to even explain how bizarre it is. The odometer is under the hood. The the in, the gauge cluster is all those CRT screens like from Pong back in the 70s. And they worked. Oh my and God, it was amazing. this car is bizarre. Um, one of the truly one of the weirdest cars ever built and it just goes from there like it was a horrible decision after horrible decision made in creating this car of course i loved it and then the vector w8 was this other one that was just unreal it was designed to look like a fighter plane and they succeeded and it has literal fighter plane like gauges in it that they bought from the same Wait, which company was that? that was doing fighter, fighter plane, plane instrumentation at the time the vector yes. the vector w8 that's I think it's like the craziest car, design car ever made. Now, do wow. you own those two cars? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I borrowed. I, God, I would never buy a Lagonda. Um, <laughs> but we could I do borrowed, this. In I would the, love in, to get the Vector. The, the Doug's car experience. This would be the perfect car yes, to have exactly. there to take pictures in. You know the real problem? You know what the real problem with the car experience would be? People get in these cars and they'll think, man, this is not as good as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> No, be, can you imagine to go take pictures in the Vector Oh, it'd be so cool. It'd be so cool. And you cool. put a green screen behind it and you can like throw things on the green screen behind it. That would be like funny, like Miami Vice <laughs> scene behind it. And then people could take pictures in it. It'd be hilarious. And then all these influencers would come, you know, and take pictures in it as if it was their car. Right, like you could set right, up, right. You know what you do? You set up a driveway scene and then influencers come and you drive out which three cars they want to put in their driveway and pretend it's their driveway. Like you get the SoCal driveway, which is what a lot of these like influencers do. Yeah. That's so there's right. no actual physical oh buttons on the dash, right? It's all like digitalized or how, how does that kind of work? Are you in the, in the Lagonda? Yeah. The Lagonda. Is yeah. that what you're looking at? It, it depends which version you're looking at, but there was one version where there's like a, are you looking at the one with the single post steering wheel? I think so. Yeah. Like, it just has like one spoke. I mean, this is one of the great bad interiors. It's so awful. And yes, it's like a microwave with microwave buttons. It's, it's, I mean, horrible cascading, awful decisions to create this automobile. But I love it. It's so, it's so amazing it to like really, go back in time really to this cool. thing. It is really cool. That's an awesome <laughs> Oh my Lord. I'm looking at the interior of the Austin Martin Lagonda, L-A-G-O-N-D-A. And yeah. it is a disaster. <laughs> oh my God. This looks like that Logan's run. That car, adjusted for inflation, was $350,000 back what? then. What? Yeah. What does it go for now for the museum? Like, oh. What would we pay Whatever for? you can find someone willing to pay. I mean, may, nice ones are maybe like seventy-five, eighty, just because they're so rare, but no one is looking for these cars. There's no one in the market uh, for that interior. And so if you get one, you're stuck with it for a long time. Right. So what you have to do is find the person whose wife is pissed off that they have these many cars in the garage and they're willing to just throw it out for 40 grand or something. And you just make them like right. the 40 grand off for five years in a row until they finally realize that they got to go wash it. I'm looking at a Citron Karen from 1980 concept car. Type that into your Google. Yeah. Because this was like on yeah. Pinterest next to your car. And this thing is crazy looking. Yeah. So th these, I would kill to review these concept cars, by the way. They must be so weird, but I bet none of them drive. Citron Karen is insane looking. I kind of like it. It's very Blade Runner, I'll insane. be honest. Um, yeah, very. That's where everybody thought design was going to go back then. Late 70s, early 80s, they were like, yeah, angles. Angles are kind of cool. I mean, it kind of looks like the Cybertruck, I'll be honest. It's got some Cybertruck uh, to it. It looks mm. like a like a pyramid. Like if you were driving yes. a pyramid around. If you yeah. were driving, if you were the Sphinx and you're driving a pyramid, dope or nope, Doug? Cyber truck, dope or nope? I I don't I don't like how it looks. I'm a nope mm. on the Cybertruck. It's polarizing. It's Do you think it's going to be super successful though? No, just because of the price point, it looks like they're going to be at. I think I think they they I, I'm actually the the biggest thing that's disappointing to me about the Cybertruck is that they went after the. 
like Raptor, Ford Raptor segment. I was hoping for like a truck for an electric truck for the masses, just like the three and the S mm-hmm. kind of were. And instead it's like they went after kind of a niche that's for like rich people with bro trucks. And I don't know, mm-hmm. it's just not, it isn't what I was hoping that yeah, Tesla It's definitely polarizing. They could have really revolutionized the truck. And I feel like they didn't really yeah, I'm, do I'm, that. I'm going to reserve my, uh, I, I, something about stainless steel I just love on the outside, like uh, the DeLorean. Yeah, that there's a lot of cool yeah. parts to it. But I just, it's going to be expensive and huge. And I don't know. I was just, I was hoping for like a democratized, yeah. like your garden. What do you think of Nicola this, and you know, their badger and that, and that really whole thing? Like I had Nicola founder on my uh, podcast and people were like freaking out that that's like a huge scam. Um, I mean, that's the thing. It's another example of this. It's like, okay, it looks cool. What, prove it. You know, like this is another example of these EV companies that's like, oh, we're going to do so many we're going to do's yeah. in the electric car industry. Well, oh, this is going to come. Here's a picture of what's going to be. Well, OK, but Tesla has done it successfully. So instead of telling you what's coming, like prove it, show me, Get, yeah. put me in one. You know, yeah. I want to awesome. check it out. And Rivian is the same way. I know they're coming, but, you know, show it to me. I think Where it's like that really actually? hard to get these things to market and like every... Elon was always what, be one year than behind on his thinks. estimates. And so like, and that's Elon who yeah. is like, you know, he's really good at what he does and like doesn't sleep and like right. works seven days a week for 10 years. Like, I, I don't know if these other kids are like ever going to get their shit launched. And if they do. That's the problem. I just, I just don't same, believe any same. of these things until I actually Hey Doug, you're them. like a great, you know, you great see guest. these specs coming out. Oh, go ahead. No, I should say, Doug, you're a great guest. Great guest. I think the Thank best you. guest we've had on nice this pod. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the the trophy. <laughs> dope or right nope, now. Doug. Dope or nope, <laughs> Johan. <laughs> dope. Fucking Super dope. dope. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate right. that. I'll see you on the rock. That's a wrap. We're gonna wrap it up. See you on the rock. I'll see you on the rock. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. I every summer. And there we go. Well, thanks for listening to the Inside Transportation Podcast. We'll see you all next week. Take care.